Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas, Baylor fans. Ho, ho, ho. You know, while many of you deserve nothing but coal in your stocking, I've decided to give you everything on your Christmas wish list. Ho, ho, ho. 2020 has been hard enough. Why not give you all of the gifts you've been asking for? <laughs> so, Charlie Brewer is gone, Larry Fedora has moved on, and I give you your third Elite 11 quarterback on your team. <laughs> Everything is solved, nothing could go wrong next year. Next Christmas, I will find you off a Big 12 championship, certainly, <laughs> right? Right? Welcome into this special Christmas edition of Please Bear With Me. So glad you could join us on this Christmas holiday. I want to wish you and your family well and the very best of all things during this Christmas season as we all wrap up what's been a very difficult and odd and just crazy 2020 and it's been hard on all of us in different ways. And we look ahead to hopefully an improvement and some normalcy and some vaccines and some good things in 2021. My name is Scotty Swingler. Happy to be joining you for this postseason edition of Please Bear With Me and look forward to talking about the many storylines that are surrounding Baylor football so far in this short-lived offseason. There's a lot more to come, but we'll cover what's been going on so far. If you haven't been following Baylor football in the last few weeks, you've missed out on a lot of things. So we're going to talk about it all right here. Of course, the last time we got an episode out was before the game against Oklahoma in Norman. And I don't have a lot to comment on in those Oklahoma or Oklahoma State games. Baylor goes out with a whimper. At the same time, Baylor's defensive performance in Norman, the best in about four years. Yes, in fact, I believe the statistic is that no team had held Oklahoma under 28 points in about three seasons, and Baylor's defense did exactly that. Baylor's defense proved, continued to prove rather, how elite they are by holding Oklahoma to 27 points. And just an outstanding showing for Baylor's defense. And of course, at the same time, the offense continued to look abysmal and it got even worse in that Oklahoma State game. I mean, one of the worst, most boring and bad performances I've seen in any college football game as Oklahoma State came into Waco and rolled the Bears, especially uh, the Bears offense, which struggled to do anything. Of course, the story coming out of that game, one of the most interesting things was that Charlie Brewer exited the game with an injury. And in comes Jacob Zeno, who people have been clamoring for all season for the most part. And Zeno, uh, I think by the eye test, definitely looked better. Threw the ball a little bit crisper, looked a little more decisive. And yet, Zeno threw for less yards per attempt in that game than Charlie Brewer did. Clearly, and I kind of said this all here, the quarterback might have been an issue, but was not the biggest issue 
for Baylor's offense this season. And Dave Aranda took some big steps this week to address the offensive issues from 2020. We'll talk more about that as the show continues on. So Baylor concludes 2020 with two wins over Kansas and Kansas State. Kansas, of course, just the basement of the Big 12 and have been for a long time. And Kansas State, after starting well, really fizzled out at the end and and showed a lot of their kind of growing pains and struggles as well. Neither win one that Baylor should absolutely hang their hat on. It's not too dissimilar from 2017, in my opinion. So I want to really quickly tell you the three things that I learned from Baylor football in 2020, and I hope that uh, maybe you observed these things as well. Number one, under Dave Aranda, Baylor is going to continue being an elite defensive program. This team is going to continue hanging its hat on toughness and physicality and 11 men to the football on defense. And I am so cool with that. That is so good by me. I know many talking heads on Twitter want to be like, ah, but Art Bryles offense. Oh, but I missed the offense. And I get it, man. I, I was a student during the pinnacle of those years, right? Like I understand the desire to see the high flying offense come back at the same time. Uh, Bryles teams were frustrating as heck too when you couldn't stop anybody. UCF and Michigan State in two consecutive New Year's Six bowl games embarrassed Baylor because Baylor's defense could not stop even a camel from walking through the eye of a needle, right? Like Baylor's defense could not stop anything in those years. Well, it's just kind of flipped. (laughs) Baylor's defense is going to be a top 15 unit for many years to come, Dave Aranda is just continuing that identity that Matt Rule bestowed upon the Baylor football program. And it's an awesome, I think it's an awesome thing. It's kind of counter to what the Big 12 is thought of to be nationally. And Baylor can win a lot of games doing it, as Matt Rule proved. Of course, the offense has to get a lot better and has to balance out what the defense is doing and has to keep the defense off the field for longer than two minutes so they can be at their best all those things absolutely the offense needs to improve but i am cool with the defensive identity for our football program it reminds me a lot of alabama for several years there it reminds me a lot of those some of those big 10 programs that really hang their hat on a strong tough defense iowa wisconsin michigan these programs that have been perennial top 15 programs for most of my life and hang their hat on defensive excellence if Baylor is that for the next decade that is so cool by me I'm into it Baylor's defense while losing nine of its 11 starters from last year's team only returning two starters and Terrell Bernard the best of that group getting hurt halfway through the season this defense still one of the best units in the country and I'm so fired up to see what Aranda is going to do in year two and year three with this defensive group the second thing we learned in 2020 is this wide receivers are great and they're exciting but a playmaking wide receiver can only do so much if you don't have quarterback offensive line and scheme right by that i mean so often we give receivers credit for being big playmakers and they are in clutch situations fourth downs end of game overtime like i want a denzel mims on my team I want an R.J. Sneed on my team, a guy that I can just throw the ball up, say a prayer, and there's a good chance he's going to come down with it. DeAndre Hopkins is the best one of those in the NFL. But the receiver can only do so much if the quarterback, the offensive line, and the scheme aren't working. We saw that this year. Baylor is loaded at receiver, man. Loaded. R.J. Sneed proved this year he's a number one guy on almost any college football team in America. He's lights out. 
I still think Tyquan Thornton is dynamic as heck. I think he can do all sorts of things on the football field. Gavin Holmes is dynamic. Josh Fleeks is one of the best big play receiving threats we've had in the last decade. His ability to run after catch and make guys miss is awesome. Jalen Ellis had some big catches late in the season, and I think he's Tevin Reese level fast and, and potential to be just the ultimate deep threat receiver. I think Jalen Ellis is going to be a huge playmaker moving forward. I'm still waiting on Jackson Gleason to see some time and make his presence felt in that receiving court because I think he's a beast. Um, when we talk about this recruiting class in a minute, we're bringing in some studs at receiver. But receivers can't produce, can't be special, can't show you how dynamic they are if the quarterback and the line and the scheme isn't right. So, you know, for Baylor this year, it was probably a little of all three. The quarterback was a guy that clearly couldn't push the ball down the field like he used to be able to or like you know, a lot of elite quarterbacks can. Line had some moments this season where they played all right, but for the most part was uh, not together, constantly rotating in different guys, very, very much a lack of cohesion and excellence on the offensive line. And then scheme. I was very slow this season to criticize Larry Fedora because I believe in what he's done elsewhere. But the reports that came out of Baylor about him refusing to watch film on last year's offense about him stubbornly implementing designs and calls and schemes that, that didn't fit Baylor's personnel this year, nor what Aranda wanted to do, he messed up. Scheme, O-line, quarterback, all were not great for Baylor. In fact, I would say all were poor for Baylor this year. And your receivers, doesn't matter how many good or dynamic or explosive receivers you have, it's not going to work if you don't get those three things right. That's the, that's a huge thing we learned from the 2020 Baylor football season. And lastly, we learned that adversity purges and purifies a program. Adversity, difficult, hard things purge and purify a program. This is the second time in five years Baylor fans have seen this up close. Between the Jim Grobe year and the Matt Rule year one, the one win season, Baylor's program was purged. A lot of guys left. A lot of guys I liked. Uh, a lot of guys went elsewhere. Several guys stuck around. But what happened there is as you purged and people left and, and thoughts left and systems left and new schemes came in, it purified the program. I mean, to the point where last year Baylor's in the Sugar Bowl and coming off a overtime loss in the Big 12 championship game. The program was purged and it was purified. It was cleansed. It was made better. I think that's happened this year. I know people don't want to compare this year to 2017. I understand there are some differences, but it's very similar. New coaching staff, new philosophy, uh, some things going on behind the scenes that not all the players jived with, and the program's being purged. Guys are leaving. Uh, and we'll talk about some of these transfers in a minute. I don't blame all the guys that are leaving. Some of them are leaving for great reasons, and I don't blame them a lick, and I wish them the best. But the program's getting purged right now. The guys that want to be here are going to be here. The guys that don't are going to leave. And I think the program's being purified. I think the program's taking the next step forward into what it's going to be. And I'm going to give Aranda three, four years before I get off the train. 
I want you to think about 2017. The the thing is, when we look back at 2017, now we look back at it with rose-colored glasses. We look back at it with that 2020 hindsight vision. We say, of course, 2017 was necessary for what Matt Rule was doing. It got us to a Big 12 championship. It's okay. 2017 was great. But go back to 2017. None of us were happy. Go listen to season one of this podcast. That was the 2017 one-win season. Can you imagine? I launched a podcast during that year. None of us were happy. None of us believed in what Matt Rule were doing. This guy from the Northeast coming in here, making guys hit each other at practice, injuries everywhere, trying to make Baylor a defensive team. What the heck is this guy doing? This guy doesn't know anything. Some of you were calling for Matt Rule's head after year one. I wasn't quite calling for Matt Rule's head, but I can tell you, I remember vividly confessing after the Texas game in year two that I finally believed in Matt Rule because that one win season was tough. It did not leave a great taste in our mouth about who Matt Rule was or where that program was headed. But it was being purified. It was being cleansed. If you're a Christian, when we do this in our personal lives, we purify and we purge and we cleanse ourselves out. It's called sanctification, right? The program is being purged and it's being purified right now. And it's going to conform to what Dave Aranda wants it to be. And I think that's a good thing. In fact, I think that if I were putting money on it, I'd say Baylor will be back in a Big 12 championship game in the next five years. You know, I think Aranda's the right guy. I think Baylor's proven that if you can get the right philosophy in place, you're going to win games here in Waco. So, you know, compare or don't compare to 2017. What I'll tell you is 2020 was a purifying. It was a purging. It was a cleansing. It was a growing year. And I think only good things are going to come out of it. My, My money would be on good things coming out of it. Let me take a sip of my Dr. Pepper. Of course, no longer the official soft drink of Baylor University. That's Mountain Dew now. Still doing Dr. Pepper hour though, you know, especially when COVID ends. So that's cool. So speaking of purging and purifying and cleansing and all that, a lot of guys are gone. And again, I don't blame most of these guys, but William Bradley King and Jake Burton declaring for the NFL draft. I think WBK has a chance to be like a fifth round pick. I think his ceiling as a pass rusher in the NFL is really high. I actually think his body type and his motor and athleticism fit the NFL scheme better than most college football schemes. So I think WBK could be a real good NFL player. Thankful for his one year at Baylor. He made some big plays for us this season. I'm glad he did that. Jake Burton, I don't know. Uh, I know he was pretty highly thought of coming in. And that entire offensive line group struggled. Maybe his film as he goes and talks to NFL scouts really will prove his value especially at that guard spot instead of a tackle spot but I don't know where he grades out Um, I wish the best to both of those guys I hope they both make the league and make their dreams come true and I'm glad Baylor could be a part of that for them of course the two headliners here uh, John Lovett and Charlie Brewer both transferring out and I again I wish them both the best and don't think that either made a bad choice for them and when it comes to Charlie we'll talk about this in a minute I I I think it it was not necessarily the choice he wanted to make, but I think it is a good choice for Baylor. 
John Lovett goes to Penn State, which is a running back factory. That's a program that takes particular pride in producing NFL running backs. Saquon Barkley, of course, being the most recent and most notable. You know, I hope that Lovett, a Northeastern kid, goes back to one of the most elite football programs in the Northeast and makes a name for himself and gets drafted. I really think if John Lovett goes up to Penn State next year, stays healthy, kicks butt, he, he could be a third-round draft pick next season. That's not out of reach for him. So very happy for him. I'm glad a big program was willing to take him in, and, and hopefully they make him the starter and, and give him a lot of carries in that more traditional scheme and offense. That, that could be really good for John Lovett. And then for Charlie Brewer, he heads to the Utah Utes, and he is actually one of three transfer quarterbacks headed up there. He is the only senior in that role headed up there. They also bring in a pretty highly thought of recruit. So there's going to be a four quarterbacks on campus at Utah this spring who are all new and all uh, different. And selfishly, I hope that Charlie Brewer wins that starting job and wins 11 games at Utah next year. I really do. Charlie Brewer leaves Baylor as a guy who will be in the top five statistical Baylor quarterbacks for decades to come. He leaves Baylor as one of the main catalysts that got Baylor to a Big 12 title game last year. I mean, if you had asked anybody, any Baylor fan in 2017, if we were going to make a Big 12 title by 2019, everybody would have laughed at you. You would have been crazy for thinking that. And yes, Baylor made the Big 12 title game because of Matt Rule's brilliance as a coach. Yes, Baylor made the Big 12 title game on the back of an elite defense. But Baylor does not make, like, make no mistake about it. Baylor does not make that Big 12 title without Charlie Brewer playing quarterback. Baylor doesn't make it. Charlie Brewer willed Baylor to victories. Charlie Brewer put his body and his brain on the line so that Baylor would win a couple more football games. I think the way Charlie Brewer left Baylor is a travesty. I don't think it's bad that he left. I don't think it's bad he's moved on. I'm glad he's getting a shot at another program. And again, I hope he absolutely kills it. But I think for a guy that took Baylor to a Big 12 championship game, something only Bryce Petty had done before him. For a guy that spent three years as a fan favorite starter. He, he really was the fan favorite. To leave McLean Stadium for the final time with an injury, and on top of that, booze, and people calling for your head, and then an absolute explosion of fan excitement as the backup quarterback gets inserted. That feels wrong to me. That feels messed up. And I can never influence Baylor fans to agree on anything. I'm not stupid, right? I'm never going to be able to control fan reaction, especially in the heat of a moment in a football game. But Charlie Brewer deserved to leave Baylor with a standing ovation. Nothing less. You know, I defended Charlie Brewer most of this season. And some others who comment on Baylor football and write and report on Baylor football were critical of me for that and I understand that at some point you got to be honest about an athlete's performance on the field and Charlie would be the first to tell you that he did not play up to his standard this season at the same time there's got to be a way that we as fans can honor a guy like Charlie for his excellence for three and a half seasons 
There's got to be a way that we could support him and show him love. And do we always have to be critical? I, I get that for some of you, few of you, it's your job. And you get paid to be honest. But for most of us, including me, sitting behind this microphone, this is a hobby. This is a passion. This is something we do out of love for a school and a team. And I hate that Charlie Brewer will forever have a sour taste in his mouth when it comes to Baylor Bear people because of how he was treated this year. So Charlie, there's no way you're going to hear this, I'm sure. But if you're listening, man, I'm so sorry on behalf of the jerks and the people that don't get it on behalf of the people who weren't very sympathetic and kind to you. I'm sorry that you felt like people don't value your work or what you've done for the school. Um, Thank you for, for everything you've done. And uh, I think Baylor fans deserve to give you better. I think you deserved to get better from Baylor fans. So as guys transfer out or leave for the NFL, the good news is there's a lot of guys coming back. And I'm sure this list isn't exhaustive, but these are kind of the headliners or the early names or the big names of guys that are coming back. Number one, Terrell Bernard and Raleigh Tejada coming back. That is such good news because I think both of them would be draft picks if they left right now. I think they'd both get drafted, uh, albeit maybe both drafted a little later than they will be next year, but they could both jump and, and be NFL players next year. I'm so excited they're both coming back because those two guys, I mean, they have the potential next season to be the best linebacker and the best corner in the Big 12. Without question, they're that good. I think Bernard was the best linebacker in the Big 12 this season before he got hurt, and, and I don't even know that that's debatable. So glad to have those guys back. Jared Atkinson is back providing depth at that wide receiver spot. I think that's great. Xavier Newman is back. I think that's good. Xavier, I think, kind of struggled at that center spot this year. But he is one of the five most talented linemen on the team. There's there's very little doubt about that. And so, you know, we're going to need to shore up that offensive line and continue to get better. And I think he's going to be a big part of doing that. And then, of course, uh, the biggest headliner coming back on offense is Treston Ebner. I didn't expect him to come back. I think a lot of people thought he was going to transfer out, but with Lovett gone, uh, Ebner comes back to lead a very otherwise young running back group. And man, if there is anybody who deserves to stay healthy for a full season so he can just go off, it's Tristan Ebner. The guy is just such a clutch playmaker and such a talent, and I'm glad he'll be at Baylor next season. That'll be a big piece for that offense, regardless of who comes in at quarterback or offensive coordinator. Moving forward, Tresson Ebner will be a big part of that. So for as many guys that are leaving, Baylor also gets some tremendous help in the form of transfer defensive tackle Siaki Ika. And I hope I said that right. Siaki Ika, LSU defensive tackle transfers to the Bears, no doubt under the fact that, you know, LSU also had a very painful year one with a new defensive coordinator who's now fired. So Ika comes to be reunited with his former defensive coordinator, Dave Aranda. And, you know, if there was something that was missing off of that otherwise just excellent Baylor defensive unit this year. It was an interior defensive lineman who can really eat up blocks and take double teams and make some stops in the run game. Baylor really didn't have that along the defensive line this year. There were some injuries and some guys that were absent as part of that um, issue, but you really missed like Bravion Roy, right? You really missed that big guy stuff in space in the middle. Ika fills that hole immediately and is one of the best in the Big 12 immediately, I think, next year for Baylor. Tremendous addition for Dave Aranda and his defensive staff. Cannot wait to see Ika in a Baylor uniform next season. 
And speaking of guys coming into Baylor, Baylor quietly puts together a pretty good recruiting class in the early signing period. So this is not everybody Baylor will bring in in this recruiting class. Baylor is definitely going to look for some grad transfers, especially on that offensive line, and maybe add another high school kid or two. And I think people are undervaluing this Baylor recruiting class because there's a very small amount of guys that just pop, okay? Uh, Chiron Drones, really the only guy that really just pops when you watch film or when you look at who these guys are. But this recruiting class, just for some context, is, is ranked anywhere between 40 and 45 in the country. When you look at most of the recruiting websites, 247 Sports, who helps produce this podcast, uh, has Baylor's recruiting class this year ranked 43rd. I've seen them as high as 40. Last year, the final recruiting class to come in uh, that Matt Rule put together before he left was ranked 50. Uh, Matt Rule and Art Bryles, both their best recruiting classes were somewhere around 38 to 43. And so when you look at Aranda putting together a recruiting class this year that's right now ranked number 40, uh, that's pretty good. Um, that's, that's about on par with the two great coaches that have come before. Now, Aranda has been criticized in some circles as not a good recruiter, and there is something to that, but Juice and Joey McGuire and Sean Bell and some of these other guys on staff are excellent recruiters, and so I think Baylor's recruiting is going to continue to go well. And although, again, this class doesn't just pop at you, there's a lot of guys in this class who could be two- and three-year starters, and that's good news if you're Baylor. Of course, the class is headlined by Chiron Drones, a quarterback out of Shadow Creek, and he's a stud, and we'll talk more about the quarterbacks here in a minute because I think uh, the quarterback situation going into 2021 is immediately the biggest storyline, especially with Brewer transferring out. The recruiting class has four guys who can really run at wide receiver, four guys who are all just fast, fast, fast wide receivers, Aranda and the offensive staff clearly prioritizing speed on the outside. And one guy that signed to Baylor that was kind of a surprise to jump on the Baylor train was Cam Bonner. Uh, Bonner comes from Houston, St. Thomas. And I got to tell you that I watched Bonner play in person this season as I covered the Ocampo Rice Birds for KULP. And Bonner was thought to be going to Texas A&M. So a guy that had that held an SEC offer with Texas A&M ends up flipping to Baylor. And I got to tell you, I've watched some outstanding high school football players in the last several years and Bonner's one of the best I've ever seen. The kid can just burn. He is a tremendous route runner and he's got speed to beat almost anyone on the back end and he's got really tremendous hands. I think Cam Bonner is a guy in this recruiting class that's being a little undervalued. I think he could come in and make an impact in the receiving core right away for Baylor as could Javen Gibson, who is a highly rated and highly thought of receiver. Those two guys, I think, could make an immediate impact, and they're both burners. Jordan Jenkins, the running back signee, uh, played at that same 4A Division I level that I covered with El Campo here, and uh, he is a, a, just a touchdown machine. He was a production machine at the 4A level. Uh, that doesn't mean he immediately translates to Division I very well, but I think Jordan Jenkins is a running back 
that has a lot of upside, especially, you know, playing behind some really, really good backs that Baylor already has in the room. I think Jenkins could turn out to be a playmaker down the road. And the two guys who have an opportunity to contribute, in my opinion, immediately are Tate Williams and Tevin Williams, not related. Uh, Tate Williams is an offensive lineman who, uh, you know, could probably play any spot in college, but I think will immediately compete to start at guard for Baylor. You know, not many guys can come right out of high school and start at offensive line in Power 5 football, and maybe I'm overvaluing Tate a little bit, thinking he could. You know, Spencer Drango and Connor Galvin are two of the only ones Baylor's had in the past 10 plus years that could just jump right out of high school and do it. But Tate Williams is a guy who um, could either really bulk up and play tackle at this level or could probably immediately start to compete at a guard spot. And I think for the sake of his NFL prospects, we'll probably need to play guard at Baylor. And uh, he, you know, he's a guy that comes in highly touted to bolster that offensive line that so badly needs the help. Tevin Williams is a highly ranked cornerback from Stillwater, Oklahoma, who comes in as one of the better corners in the nation. Um, a guy that I think, again, could compete to start immediately. Obviously, he's initially going to be behind Tejada and Kalen Barnes and Mark Milton, but uh, will immediately play for reps at that cornerback spot and, and really could turn into a lights-out cover corner. He is a bigger corner who can press, and those are the cornerbacks that Dave Aranda is prioritizing. And so I think Tevin Williams has the opportunity to come in immediately and make an impact in the secondary as well. A lot of other uh, interesting guys in Baylor's recruiting class. Recruiting is not my forte. Perhaps next week I'll bring in uh, Tim Watkins or somebody else at 247 who can who can talk more thoroughly about the recruiting class. But those were the highlights for me. Drones, Bonner, Gibson, the two Williams, and Jordan Jenkins, I think are all guys that can really contribute. And then there's some really good linebackers and some other guys in this class that could be interesting depending on where they play. But again, we'll talk more about the recruits later. Uh, but I, I, I'm more pleased with this recruiting class than I think most people are. I think, I think it's going to turn out to be a good one. I want to cover quickly this quarterback competition coming up in the spring because here's the deal. With Charlie Brewer's departure, I actually think this is wide open. I think there are four quarterbacks that will be on campus this spring who could win the job of starting quarterback. I think there's four of them. You know, so the two that you know that you're familiar with are Jacob Zeno and Gary Bohannon. I expected one or both of those guys to transfer out after this season. I know both of them must have been frustrated watching Brewer and the entire offense struggle and not getting any opportunity to jump in there and make a difference. But both are sticking around. And after Zeno was inserted in that game against Oklahoma State, I was a little concerned. I, th I thought that was a bad look, by the way, that Gary Bohannon was still listed as the QB2, and it was Zeno who trotted in there when Brewer got hurt. I thought that was a bad look. I was a little frustrated and surprised by that. But both Bohannon and Zeno stick around, and both feel like they can win the starting job this spring. I specifically did some investigation into Bohannon and what he's up to because I really, really was surprised he was around. And Gary Bohannon believes he's the best quarterback in Waco. He thinks he's going to win the job outright. He thinks he's that much better than Zeno and the other two guys who will be part of the competition, and good for him. I think that confidence goes a long way in leading a football team from that quarterback position, and I think Bohannon has a skill set that the others don't have, particularly as a dual threat. I think he will still by far be the biggest threat as a runner on campus, and so who knows, depending on the offensive coordinator hire, maybe Bohannon is the big fit. And by the way, that's a huge thing here. Whoever is hired as Baylor's next offensive coordinator, 
and we'll talk more about that here in just a second uh, with Fedora leaving, but uh, that's going to play a huge role into which of these quarterbacks ends up being the starter because they all have a different uh, set of skills. They all have a different upside and a different dynamic that they present. So on top of Bohannon, who we know is just an elite runner and has a huge howitzer of an arm, and it's just a matter of how accurate he can be. Um, and on top of Zeno, who we know uh, is a very good pocket quarterback, even coming out of high school, a little less mobile. Um, there's still a lot of questions just about what he can do because he hasn't gotten that much action. On top of those two guys, you've got Blake Shapen and Kyron Drones. Shapen, in my opinion, could very well win this thing. He is going to be seen as the fourth out of four guys just because he's smaller, he's not as dynamic, but Blake Shapen is a very, very good quarterback. And in fact, I think we forget how highly touted he was coming out of high school because he is going to be the only quarterback of these four who was not an elite 11 guy. But Blake Shapen uh, fits the mold of some elite college football quarterbacks of the past few years. I'm talking Johnny Manziel. I'm talking Russell Wilson. I'm talking Kyle. Tyler Murray. What did those three guys have in common? They were baseball stars and they were undersized. They were undersized baseball stars who could move a little bit and they turned out to be, you know, Heisman finalist college quarterbacks, you know, for Manziel and Murray Heisman winners because of a baseball background. Shapin is exactly that. Shapin is playing both football and baseball at Baylor. He has the arm talent you'd expect from a baseball player. In fact, what, what impresses me about Shapin's tape is his touch. More than anything, he always puts the right amount of zip on a football, whether it's a lot or a little. And I think he's very underrated coming into this competition, and I can really see him winning the whole thing, again, depending on the offensive coordinator. And then, of course, you've got Kyron Drones coming in, who I think some are hailing Drones as like, the best quarterback Baylor's ever recruited. And the reality is he's rated lower than Zeno or Bohannon were coming out of high school. He's still an elite 11 guy. He's a dynamic dual threat guy. And he might have the strongest arm as soon as he gets to campus. All those things are true. He is an outstanding talent. And he will be on a level playing field, more so than he would have been otherwise with a new offense and him coming in early in the spring. There's a possibility Drones walks on campus and is the most talented guy. I just haven't seen enough, and I don't know what he's going to look like against college players. But all four of those guys could win, and I am writing an article that will come up in the next couple days on Bears Illustrated, really breaking down that competition, because I think it's the biggest storyline going into 2021. And again, when we make a second episode here in this postseason, when an offensive coordinator is hired, we'll delve deeper into which quarterback might fit that style best. But the one more storyline we have to address here has to do with offensive coordinator Larry Fedora and the passing game coordinator George Munoz leaving. They, they're gone. They've left Baylor. And, um, you know, it's not being called a firing, but the reality is that Aranda walked in the room and said, we got to make a change. And the decision was made that Fedora and Munoz needed to go. This is huge. And, and this is a big deal. And I'm going to tell you right now that this decision and this move give me tremendous confidence in Dave Aranda as a head coach moving forward. There was a lot of talk this season as Baylor struggled about Dave Aranda's ability to be a head coach. He's never been a head coach before. He's been one of the best defensive coordinators in Power 5 football for 10 years, but he's never been a head coach. And 
you know, does he have what it takes to make some of the hard decisions, to make the big decisions, to make the right decisions? Uh, he did it. He did it by asking Larry Fedora to leave. Larry Fedora, of course, let's be honest, it's, it's easy for us to hate on him right now, but everybody listening to me was really excited when Larry Fedora was brought in as the offensive coordinator. There was a lot of thought that, that I mean, this was going to take us back to a Bryles-type level of production. There was all this buzz about how Charlie Brewer was just going to thrive in this new offense, right? And it was abysmal. We know it. We, we, we've retread it over and over. The offense this year was horrible, okay? Factor in also that Larry Fedora was previously a head coach at North Carolina and a pretty successful one. Won some bowl games at North Carolina before they left him and moved on to Mac Brown. And I will not say who, okay, but I have some friends who were concerned or maybe not concerned, but their perspective on Baylor's coaching situation was Fedora is really the guy running the show and Aranda is just a figurehead, right? Fedora is the one with head coaching experience. Fedora is the one with some Baylor roots. Uh, maybe in other circumstances, we should have just hired Fedora as the head coach, but we're going to hire Aranda to be this like good image figurehead and Fedora is really going to run the show. Clearly, that's not the case. Fedora's gone. This is Dave Aranda's team. And that's a good thing. Listen, I'm still not going to pin all of the offensive troubles that we had this season on Fedora. But as the guy in charge, you've got to pin a lot of it on him. There was no adjustment throughout the season. There was no improvement. It's not like, you know, it even looked like we were making an effort to do something different. It was just the same dismal thing, game after game, and very few flashes of brilliance in between a lot of bad. And so, uh, you know, it takes a lot to step back in and call plays, and it's been a long time since Fedora's called plays. Maybe he was rusty. Maybe he was stubborn. Maybe he didn't have the right vision in place for Baylor. I don't know. But I think his departure is not only good news for an offense that needs serious adjustment in 2021, but it's good news and it's a good sign if you're hoping that Aranda is a long-term guy at Baylor. Uh, I think he made a great move here. And, you know, whenever we do bring in an offensive coordinator in the next couple weeks, we will talk about it here on Please Bear With Me. Uh, there's some good candidates out there. I'm on the record as saying I think you've got an A-plus candidate in-house in Sean Bell. I know he's never called plays at the college level before, but you know I'm a, I'm of the opinion that what he's done at Baylor, in addition to his experience as a quarterback and what he did coaching Texas high school football, I think he's going to be an elite offensive coordinator sooner than later, and I hope it's at Baylor. Um, but there's several good candidates' names who are being thrown around. Jeff Grimes from BYU is probably my favorite outside guy you could bring in. He's done a terrific job at BYU. Another name that's come up from a lot of Baylor fans is Andrew Souter, a guy who was a grad assistant under Bryles. He then coached under Dino Babers and ultimately has the last couple years been the Kent State offensive coordinator. And if that doesn't sound like a great hire to you, you need to go look at Kent State's offensive numbers from the last two seasons. Uh, I think this year they were the number one FBS college football offense. Granted, they're not playing against you know, power five teams, but still the guy knows what he's doing. Maybe that would be a great hire. I'm not sure. There's some talk that Aranda will reach out to Matt Canada. Canada is currently the quarterback's coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but he's been an offensive coordinator at both Wisconsin and LSU with Aranda there, I believe. And so that could be a very experienced hire of a guy that has a lot of expertise. Not sure who they'll bring in. I can just tell you I'm glad it's going to be a change. 
And ultimately, I think this ties into with Charlie Brewer's departure. You know, everybody was frustrated that Aranda wouldn't go to a different quarterback and, and seemed stuck on Brewer. I think Brewer would be playing at Baylor next season if he wasn't asked to leave. And I don't know how that conversation went. I don't know when it happened. But I think at some point, Aranda looked at Brewer and Fedora, not together, at separate moments. But I think he looked at both of them and said, for the betterment of this program, we got to move on. And both guys left. And so, you know, when it comes to fan bases whining about their team, you don't always get what you want. And I think Aranda just gave Baylor fans exactly what we said we want. Fedora's gone and Brewer's gone. So next year you have a new scheme, you have a new coordinator, you have a new quarterback. And so if the offense still struggles, I would urge fans right now before we ever even get anywhere close to the 2021 season and say, give it some time and give it some space. But like if the offense still sucks, again, maybe we were too hard on Brewer. Maybe we were too hard on Fedora. Or maybe Aranda brings in a different guy this year who's brilliant and 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 it gets better. I don't know. We'll find out. But I'm glad the move was made, and I think it only signals better things for Baylor on the horizon. Again, (laughs) purging, purifying, cleansing. Uh, Adversity brings those things about, and I think this is part of Baylor's purification and purging and cleansing and and growing as a program and getting to where uh, we're competing for Big 12 championships again.